Turn to 1 Timothy, if you would, chapter 5. Kids, great job singing, and um, really appreciate that. I've had those songs ringing in my mind for the last several days, and it was fun to sing them again. Thank you, Josh, for getting the uh, lectern. Th- this thing is heavy, so I'm glad that Josh was able to do that. If Jonathan had forgotten, I would have been in a world of hurt. So, uh, But I was looking over here, the front row. I think we had enough muscle to maybe get it up. First Timothy chapter 5. We've been going through, if you're new with us today, a study of the uh, book of First Timothy, a lot of practical things that grow out of this. And so uh, adults, children, students, there is something here for us always uh, in uh, going through the, uh, any one of the letters that Paul writes to the church, and uh, he writes it not only to Timothy and the church at Ephesus, but also to us. So let me just read this. You've got your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. I'm going to read the entire passage to the end, and uh, then we'll go through it. You'll see the outline that's before you, and we'll look at that. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborers deserve, the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also the good works are conspicuous, but even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Father, you've given us a lot in this text practical encouragements for how to live in the church of Jesus Christ, not only 2,000 years ago, but today. So I'm grateful for this and grateful that I get an opportunity to share now with your people these words before we come to a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I pray you would feed us from your word, every one of us, in the way specifically that you have designed. We pray for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the pictures of the church in the New Testament that we have talked about before, and we talked about a lot this last week in Vacation Bible School, is that of a kingdom. The church is one of two kingdoms, right kids? And so I'd like you to help me out with this, those of you who... I know you've gotten involved with your, maybe your drawing or that kind of thing, but help me out with what we learned 
the four nights that we were at Vacation Bible School this past week. Here's the first thing. Do you remember it? Help me say it. Of two, only one is true. We learned about two kingdoms. And we learned that there are, look at Romans 1.25, there are really only, get this, two religions or only two worldviews that are out there. One is true and one is not. And so this last week, as we worked with the kids from the smallest up, we tried to help them see of the two kingdoms, only one is true. And kids, do we need to be in that kingdom? Yes, we do. Thank you. Let's go to the next one. Because in this, we find out that we really do need to be in the kingdom, but something is, something's wrong. God created Adam and Eve, they fell into sin, plunged the whole world into sin. The punishment for sin is bad, but God gave us a way. He gave us a way in the person. We read that verse just a few minutes ago. Pastor Jimmy read that. We studied that this past week. How do we get to heaven, kids? Say it with me. Decide your side. We discovered the wonderful biblical truth. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But wait, there's more. We also discovered that out of that Kids, once we, we have come into the good kingdom, the kingdom of light, how are we going to stand against the bad kingdom? Now, that's the way we phrased it, adults, okay? How do we do that? By putting on what? The, the armor of God. Boy, these kids got it. And so we learned out of that, that because of the armor of God that we've got to equip us, say it with me, kids. Oh, by the way, it's up there. So adults, go ahead and say it too. Do right in God's sight. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and the devil is in charge of which kingdom? The bad kingdom. That's right. Adults, I really believe that whether or not it was visible, some of these kids actually heard the gospel and they came into the kingdom of light this last week. These things are so vitally important that we learn. By the way, I was really struck by, in one of our music nights, Miss Amy was telling us what she had learned, and I, I thought this is a great visual. Do you guys remember, kids, that remember, uh, at least for the third and fourth graders, I can remember, she was talking to us about the shield about the the armor of God and she were reminded us that the sword of the spirit didn't we just sing about the sword of the spirit the sword of the spirit which is what the word of God pokes holes into the kingdom of darkness so light can get in and I thought that's a great theological truth I'm going to steal that miss Amy and I'm going to use that in my sermon on Sunday morning. 
Thank you for that insight. Well, there was one more thing. Do you remember what it was the last night? Boy, now this is important. In the day in which we live, say it with me, adults and children, learn to discern solid food is for the mature. That's what we're about, giving solid food for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so we as the the good kingdom, are you with me? We are on the attack. Don't get the picture that the, the church is this little organization, a monastery, cloistered, and, and the big bad world is out to get us. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is on the advance. We are on the attack. We have the armor of God with which to fight off the attacks of the evil one when the kingdom of darkness comes against us. So it's attack, counterattack. Attack, counterattack. Now, what in the world does that have to do with 1 Timothy chapter 5 in teaching about elders? It has everything to do with it. So whether you're young or old, we're going to talk about three things out of this passage of Scripture, very important, about leaders. Now, this talks about leaders in the church. Through this study, we've talked about other kinds of leadership, moms and dads and things like this, but this has something to say to all of us because you can see in point three or point one that we need as a church to recognize elders Now watch this, not who are perfect, and we don't use that as an excuse, we just say it because it is, but who are good and godly leaders. Why is it so important that in the church we have good and godly leaders, that is pastors, elders, staff members, because they're like shepherds. And what do shepherds do with their flock? Well, they feed their flock. How do the elders, the pastors, the the teachers, and the staff, how do we feed you? We feed you primarily through the Word of God. I can give you my thoughts, but that doesn't make a whole lot of difference in your life. What I want to give you is to feed you the Word of God. We not only do that, but by giving the Word of God, We as shepherds protect the flock with God's truth. Let's use another word for that, could we? God's truth is what one man wisely said. His name was Francis Schaeffer, and he said this, God's word, boy, do we need this today, is true truth. There really is only one truth, but with all of the voices saying this is truth and That is truth. No, 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 this is truth. We need to know true truth, which is God's Word, and it is vital that the leaders in the church give you what is true truth. Then to help you, come alongside you in whatever way that means, to help you be filled with the Spirit so that you can live out the implications of having God's truth. So how does that work? Recognition of elders who are good and godly leaders. I said it just a minute ago. Let me reread that. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of 
double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what does that look like? I'll tell you one thing it looks like. Here's the first thing it looks like. It means that, first of all, the church, the people of God, cooperate with good and godly leaders. All right? Let me show you a picture. This happened before Timothy was written to by Paul. This happened in the early days of the church when they had a decision that they had to make. Now, it's interesting. Last week, we taught about widows because that was next in 1 Timothy, right? And so, here we come to a one of the first problems in the early church had to do with widows and with food. Very practical consideration. So here's the early church right out of the chute. They're meeting together. They're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And then it says these words. Now, in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. God was doing that. Watch this. A complaint, imagine that, a complaint in the church between two different entities. Now, this may not mean a lot to you. The Hellenists and the Hebrews. Well, what in the world does that mean? Aren't they all Christians? These are widows. We'll see their their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. That was the complaint. So the Hellenists were basically the Greek-speaking Jews, the Jewish widows. The Hebrews were the Hebrew-speaking, or maybe Aramaic, and so they were being overlooked, and they felt a little bit put upon. They're all Christians, but one felt favored over the other. It's kind of like living in Oklahoma... And maybe the OSU widows had a complaint against the OU widows. Yes, it happens in the church of Jesus Christ. Now watch. What do you do? There's a complaint. This, by the way, the the church is moving forward. I want you to see this. It's on the attack. So the counterattacks to offset the attacks of the church, the work of the church will come either from the outside or the inside. Persecution would be one that's from the outside. I'm not so sure that the attacks from the inside don't do more damage because many times they're swept under the rug. Nobody deals with them. So what happened? The leaders did what leaders do. And here's what they said, the 12, these guys were the early elders, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. This is several thousand people, by the way. Wow, what a a scene that must have been. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Not because they were too good to do so, because they had done so. But because they had a calling on their life, and they needed some people to be kind of like a shock absorber, take some of the load off, And so here's what they did. They had a plan. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. 
they would shepherd the flock of God among them. Now, let me ask you something. Did the people honor what the elders put forward as the solution? See, see, the elders did what they needed to do. They're shepherding the flock. This is what I said a minute ago. Honoring the leaders means, first of all, there is a sense of cooperation. We'll get to the exception on that in a minute. But you got to see here that there is a sense of cooperation. And so watch what happens next in the church. Now, this is thousands of people. The elder, Twelve of them put forward this idea and they did cooperate. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they prayed, the elders did, and laid hands on them, those seven that were chosen. Watch what happened as the result of leadership leading and the people of God cooperating with them. The Word of God continued to increase in the number of the disciples multiplied, not just multiplied, but multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Let me go back to another time when that didn't happen. Another time in the people of God where there was a complaint. And we'll see what happened in spite of good leadership. Now, you have to go way, way back in the Old Testament. This is out of the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And so here's Moses doing what God is asking him to do and leading the people into the wilderness and even crying out to God so that their needs would be met. And did God meet their needs? Yes. He gave them food and water. But look at the complaint of the people. Now, I, I, I found this interesting, this story, this illustration, because the complaint was about food. Kind of a not essential. This was not about doctrine. This was about having something to eat. But it's amazing how the smallest non-doctrinal issues can get way blown out of proportion when the people of God don't follow leadership and how it can be devastating. Look at this. The people spoke against God and against Moses. That gives you a little hint that speaking against leaders can sometimes, if they're doing what they need to be doing, you're not just speaking against the leader. By the way, this filters down. This is a, this is a precept about authority. This, this, is, this says something about children and parents, right? Children, are you, are you tracking? Students, are you tra- this says something about how you relate to your coach or your teacher. It says something about husbands and wives because of the way God set up a principle of authority. You've got to see that behind authority, particularly when it's good, not always easy, but when it's good, that God is in the mix even in secular situations. So here we've got the people of God spoke against God and his appointed leader, Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That was an out-and-out lie. 
but that's how easily a complaint can get blown out of proportion. And the accusation comes, for there is no food and water. Was that true? Well, (laughs) they even negated their own statement. There is no food and water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna. Now, you know, you read about the manna, it looked like pretty good stuff. It was like eating desserts all the time, kind of a flavored sugared rice cake. I, I don't know. Wouldn't you love to have that every day? Well, Ed, you said yes. Hardly anybody else did. But they didn't. See, the issue is not the food. And many t- Now, the issue can sometimes be the issue, but in probably eight out of ten cases where there is that kind of thing happening in a family or on a team or, 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 or wherever else in a church, the issue is not the issue. It's something minor like this that you allow to get way blown out of proportion. And so God did something at that point. Rather than the church growing by leaps and bounds when the people cooperated with the leadership, when they refused to cooperate with the leadership, what happened? The Lord sent fiery serpents. That, that means they, their bite uh, burned like fire because it was poison and it killed, it killed people. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Totally different result as in the book of Acts. One, it was helpful to the body of believers. The other, it was devastating to the body of the believers. Now, let me say this as I am teaching about this, these two verses, okay? No one is more aware of the weaknesses and imperfections of the leaders of this church than the leaders of this church. That's why God didn't call perfect men, men without weaknesses, to be leaders. He called men who admit their weaknesses and their imperfections and by the grace and the word of God seek to lead the church of God. There are a couple of things that that Paul also said and, and that the writer of Hebrews said, so I just want to pop those on the screen. We ask you, brothers, and we just show the importance again of this, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. That that goes together. Now, I know this could sound very uh, self-oriented. It's it's not. I'm, I'm giving you the word of God so the church of God can be strengthened. That's what it says. Hebrews says this, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. That that means every day. Pray for them. That would be a way of remembering your leaders. But you know what? I think it means remembering your former leaders. You've had two former teaching pastors. You've had a number of elders. Those teaching pastors, did both of those guys have weaknesses? Some of you weren't here, so you say, well, I don't know. Those of you who were here, did they have weaknesses? Yeah, they did. But remember, it says, those who spoke the word of God to you, considering the outcome of their life, which sometimes is not always good. But do this thing about them. Imitate their faith. Whatever measure of faith they had as leaders, imitate that. 
Don't imitate the bad things. Imitate their faith. That's huge. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch. This is the reason they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We do that. My job is not to meet every need in this church. I can't. But one of my jobs I see as making sure as best we can that every need, legitimate need, is met. And that can happen through other elders. That can happen through our staff. That can happen through the, 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 the variety of Bible study groups, small groups that we have. And that is vitally important. We keep watch over your souls. Let us do, I'll personalize it, let us do this then with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. It would be unprofitable, kind of like the fiery serpents biting the people. So cooperate. And the other thing is obvious. Scripture says, don't muzzle an ox. This is a quote out of the Old Testament. Look at this. He also quotes the New Testament. The labor deserves his wages. Let me just say this. Not only do you honor and respect the role and the office and the person who is in that role and office where you can, it also means that you support them financially. Now, again, let me say this. And I, I, didn't, I didn't clear this with Jim or Jonathan or Rocky or Eric, or any of, but I know that they feel like this. You are generous, Heritage, and you support us so that we can do the work that we are called to do without hindrance. Paul is not so much telling you, get this straight, to pay me for preaching sermons. That means on any given Sunday, you might say, eh, that sermon was about a, I don't know, a $50 sermon. Or maybe on another day, oh, I get it good. Oh, man, that's a, that's a $60 sermon. It doesn't mean that. You don't pay us, you don't pay Jonathan for leading music that is a worship to God. You don't pay for these things. You pay us so that we can do these things. That's the whole gist of what he said. That's one of the most important principles of the church. We don't say a lot about money. We don't need to because the people of Heritage are so incredibly generous. You get it. By and large, you get it. You understand the principle of grace giving, and you do give. And, and I don't, we don't have a staff member who is in it for the money. We're in it for the Lord, and we're grateful for the generosity of the church that allows us to do so. So, let me say this. If you can't find in this church the opportunity to do what I've just said, honor those who lead you by cooperation or by generously supporting, please find a church 
where you can. I'm serious. And then plug in. Build family relationships in which iron sharpens iron. Take notes. Ask questions. Give more attention. Should I even say this? Yeah, I should. Give more attention to the one who is preaching. Next week it's going to be Jim. Give more attention to the one who is preaching than to the podcast that you'll listen to this next week. I'm just going to tell you, there are a lot better preachers out there doing podcasts than me. Or Jim, even Jim, right? But here's the difference. They don't keep watch over your soul. You've got elders and pastors in this church that we pray for you. We, we sometimes call you, ask you, what's going on in your life? Can we, how can we pray for you? We don't get it all right, but that is the heart of those who want to and who accurately lead the flock of God. So that's the first part of that. Okay, let's move on to the second part. Receiving a charge against and rebuking elders who persist in sin. Obviously, this is going to be the, the what if. Now, what if you've got a leader? Uh, this has to do with trust. And in so many ways, you trust the leaders that God has set before you and over you who are not perfect, again, but who are growing in godliness. And it's imperative that trust be a huge part of that equation. Any pastor worth his salt will tell you, you listen to what I say, but verify it from the Word of God. That, that's what we call the Berean spirit. There was a group of guys, people called the Bereans, and Paul went to them right after he went to, to, to the Thessalonians and and he said, these guys were more noble-minded because they heard what I... This is the Apostle Paul preaching, who, by the way, wrote the infallible Word of God. But they listened and compared what he said to the Scriptures, and that's the way it should be. The Berean Spirit. It also means that because of trust, you'll always give the benefit of the doubt, but you will, listen to this, trust and verify And that's, a, that's huge. That's a huge responsibility. People, when I prepare and I get up and preach the Word of God to you, I do it with James 3.1 ringing in my heart. Not many of you should become teachers, knowing that you will be judged with greater strictness. I think not only by, by God, but for sure by the people of God. You're listening not judging so as to condemn, but you're listening so where necessary, you can bring a question. Teachers need to be held accountable for their teaching. But here's what it says. Go back to that particular passage. Do not, this word admit, do not even entertain a charge against an elder. Wow. 
Don't even entertain it. If somebody comes to you with a charge against a staff member, an elder, one who is serving, who is shepherding, what does it say? Don't, don't, even, don't even go there. Stop them. That's unbelievable. You don't even entertain an accusation against an elder. Ah, but here's the caveat. Again, that almost sounds self-serving like, well, elders can do or say anything and get away with it. No, because there is the other part of that except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's huge. You know, that reminds me of what we talked about several weeks ago when we were talking about discipline. This came out of chapter 5, same chapter, verse 1. And we actually, at the end of that service, exercised church discipline on someone. But, but here, here is the, the pattern. We all, do, we all should do this. If you see a brother that's entrapped in a sin, what do you do? You go. When it says, do not admit a charge against an elder, it doesn't say, don't go to the elder. You follow this. If you see something that I am doing or saying, and you have a question about that, then please, please, please go to that person and ask the question. And then there are steps to go through that. You see that? Now, here's the attitude. Go back, if you've still got your Bible open, chapter 5, verse 1. Make sure that the attitude is right. If you go to an older person, treat him as a father, the way you should treat a father. If it's a younger man, treat him as a brother, the way you should treat a brother. Older woman, as you should treat a mom. Younger woman, as you should treat a sister. So it all goes together. And, and, and here, here's what I've discovered through the many years of ministry. If they came and accused, now this is talking about a particular group of people. And they exist in every church, some churches more than the others, I'm afraid. But, but if they accused Jesus, who really was perfect, then every leader needs to realize that they will be accused, and sometimes unfairly as well. But if you see, okay, if you see me in a compromising situation, either spoken or lifestyle, doctrine or deeds, what do you do? Again, this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You seek a ministry of restoration, okay? So, so here is, here, I'm, I'm just going to give you some things you can say. Let's say that I said something today that you really questioned or you disagreed with or you just didn't understand. What should you do? Come to me. That's Matthew 18 and Galatians. You come to me first, and that's the best thing. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to bite your head off. Ask the people who have come to me, did you really say, and then fill in the blank with, with the right attitude, that is. Or here's another way to say it. Help me understand. You can say that. Help me understand that this thing that you said. I, I'm not really sure about it. 
or if you see me in a compromising situation, if you see me maybe next weekend, you happen to go into a restaurant, and in the back of the restaurant where it's dimly lit, and I'm with a woman who is not my wife, oh, I am serious. What do you do? <laughs> no, that's accepting an accusation against an elder. You come up to me and say, would you introduce me to your sister? <laughs> You're giving me the benefit of the doubt. And then I'm forced to be either dishonest or honest or whatever. But that, that would be an incredibly compromising situation that ought to be confronted because you love me and you love the church. And that's why these things are put in there. And then if you've got something that even goes beyond that, for the ministry of restoration, you always go, you all, and you'll be able to find, most, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, if there is something against one of the elders, go to their best friends and say, do you see this or do you see that? Then come with me and we can go confront because my first confrontation didn't go well. And it could be in doctrine. I'm not talking about areas of disagreement that are non-essential. I'm talking about essential doctrines. If I happen to say that Jesus is not the Son of God. Uh, help me understand. Did I hear you right? And if I persist in that, then you take others with you because you're serious about the ministry of restoration. And that's what church discipline is all about. You know what I look at this as? It's like strong medicine. This is strong medicine. Like strong medicine, you don't want to have to use it, but it's good to have on hand in case you do need to use it. One last thing, okay? Oh, let me, let me just throw this into the mix, and uh, we're going to be talking in this, this last, se last section about purity, about purity. Purity is so incredibly important. We live in a day, even in the church, that is lax on purity, frankly. And, and we're, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But this is the ser I want to show you the seriousness of a leader who persists in sin even after going to two or three witnesses, and uh, it says there, those who persist in sin rebuke him in the presence of all. That's either all the elders or all of the church, which we have done before, so that the rest may stand in fear. Fear of what? Fear of being rebuked in the presence of all? Maybe. But there's a great, there's a great fear and this particularly has to do with purity. Because in the restoration process, there, there could come a time when it's deemed that that person never, ever serves again in the ministry of being an overseer of the church because of persistence and impurity. It's serious. And that's why serious medicine has to be applied. Last thing. Restraint in placing elders into leadership. To keep all of that from happening, what do you need? You need a vetting process that is going to be solid. 
the most important thing he says, look, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands to, to, to put aside the elders, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The best, thing we, the best thing we've ever done in terms of selecting leaders is to not get in a hurry. Okay? Don't be hasty. Do due diligence. There should be careful observation over a period of time. And what Paul is saying is that, Timothy, if you get hasty because you need some guys, some warm bodies to fill leadership positions, and you get in a hurry, and that person later on sins in a way that brings disgrace on the church, guess what? You share in that person's sins. I'm telling you this, the elders at times have labored and thank God. We have had an elder or elders, maybe not even the majority, who have said, no, we do, not, we, we do not want to be hasty. We do not sense this is the time. We do not sense that this is the way we need to be going. And we said we come out in unity. And I don't know for sure, but my guess is that that might have helped us down the road not to get into a situation where we would have shared in the sins of others. Why? Because... Paul values purity. What does he say this? Keep yourself pure. Do you realize this is, okay, I, I'm going to look at the, the students too. And, and all of the adults, Paul says that God values purity. God values purity. Purity in all areas, but, but obviously he's speaking within the context. Four times he says something about purity. And I, I think that primarily that has to do with, with physical, with sexual purity. I shared with our ABF class that I've been seeing on social media. I'm not on social media. Every once in a while I'll see what's happening on Jan's. And, and the, the, the second or the third pop-up in the advertisement is for a 12-part series on Christian sexuality and gender by Francis Chan and Jackie Hill Perry. For pastors, for teachers, just got to pay $199. You have access to all the stuff for 18 months. I'm telling you, learn to discern, church, not just our kids, learn to discern. What they should have had was a 12-part series on purity. I skipped over that. The goal is purity. And I did enough research where I can say, avoid it like the plague. Okay? It, it is not good. That, that could be a, an area where you come and say, hey, help me understand. I'd be glad to. But so serious is Paul about purity. Now, let's do one more thing. We're getting ready to share the wine, grape juice, because good Baptists don't drink wine, right? We'll leave that to the Presbyterians and the Methodists.
Now, Paul, you know, this looks like it's way out of, it's a parenthesis. It looks like it's way out of whack. Why in the world, in talking about purity, would he say this to Timothy, no longer drink only water? Do you know why? Because Paul, uh, Timothy was a teetotaler. He was. For, for I think, uh, a, a couple of reasons. And Paul was trying to get something over to him. Use a little wine. He didn't say enjoy. Not that there would be anything necessarily wrong if he did. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments because he knew something about Timothy that could be a problem. Now, here is the principle he was trying to lay. Food or wine or whatever you drink will not commend you to God. I've read the arguments. They are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. That can be applied. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So here's what Paul was telling Timothy not to do. Timothy, don't become, you have, you're conscientious. You have convictions. By the way, I think a person could build from the Bible some good convictions about total abstinence. But not to the point of becoming legalistic. Timothy no doubt had read, the overseer can't be a drunkard, not be a slave to much wine. But then the other part of that, Paul was saying, for everything treated by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This has to do with purity. Don't violate your conscience, but don't be so legalistic that it becomes a stumbling block for others. And then he ends with this. It's kind of interesting. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them, and the good works of some men are conspicuous, but just not at the right time. So I'll end with this. And I believe that he ended with this because this is a gospel call. If you have been born again, you're seeking to grow. If you've been born again, then whatever is in your heart is going to eventually come out. Tree is known by its fruit. If it doesn't have a good root, it's not going to have good fruit. That's a salvation reality. Are you bearing good fruit? The other side of that is if you are truly born again, it's not going to be overnight and it's not going to be in perfection, but there will be fruit that is born. Those works will become obvious. This is in the context of leadership, but I'm putting it in the context of overall salvation. And I'm asking you to look at your your life, whether or not you're a member of this church, have you been born again? Kids, this is what we studied last week. Have you been born again? Is there that bent toward the bearing of good fruits? That'll become obvious. Or is what is showing in your life no fruit, which shows no root, which shows that you need to do what we talked about at the very beginning, 
you need to admit. Admit that you're a sinner standing before a holy God. Believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for sinners like you and me. And receive him as your Savior and as your Lord so that you can leave this place as a child of God, born again into his family, growing in the things of the Lord.